Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-427 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York. So here on the BWI Daily Edition, I I hope that I'm the place you come to to learn something new about football or to know what's going on really on the football field. And when I want to know what's going on in the football field, when I want to learn something new, I go to PFF. Uh, and one of my favorites to read and to listen to is Seth Galina. He is joining us today on the BWI Daily Edition. Seth, thanks for making the time today. Appreciate it. Uh, anytime, man. I'm excited to talk uh, talk some football. So I want to start with a conversation you had with Tom Hannafin and uh, Matt McGloin on the Pater podcast. You talked to them about Will Levis and Sean Clifford. And for Penn State fans, I, I highly encourage you to go check out that uh, podcast, fan of the show, uh, fan of Tom Hannafin. He, he works here sometimes with the BWI Daily Edition. But you talked about something um, it, some, something that I heard about for the first time this year when I had uh, Penn State five-star quarterback Drew Aller, uh, his throwing coach, on the show. He talked about rotational throwing. Uh, and that's something that you mentioned when you were talking about Will Levis. I never heard of that before this year. So can you describe to me kind of like as a quarterback coach yourself, what is this new age mechanics? And, and like, how do you feel about this transition to how players are throwing the ball now? Well, so, you know, going back um, the way that I was taught how to throw football, the way I think most people were taught how to throw football and um, the way that I coached how to throw football for at least the early parts of my coaching career 
was what we would call like a linear um, a linear type of throw. So that means like linear as in like front to back, you know, going forward. So it's like, hey, we put the, you know, we start in one, in, in one spot and then we're going to end up forward and we're going to have a follow through and we're going to push the ball and everything is coming from going from point A to point B in a linear um, fashion. And what that does is it keeps our body from head to toe in one kind of um, monolithic block. Mm -hmm. So we're just, we're just like pushing everything forward. And what's kind of been, been thought of since then is that how we actually create power and balance is by, to a certain degree, breaking the top half of our body with the, from the bottom half of our body. So what we want to do is create a solid base and as like, and, and we have to kind of sequence our throw starting with, of course, our legs. But I think the main point here is with our hips. If we can fire the hips first without moving our chest, we're able to create actual torque. Yeah. Right. Like it's yeah. like, um, I, you know, it's hard to give a, an audio example, but it's like, you know, you're, 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 you're squeezing a rag. That's that, you know what I mean? Like you have a, a wet rag, you're squeezing it tighter. Yeah. How we do it is you're kind of creating torque in that rag and then you're letting it go. So by moving the hips first and, and lagging the chest, the upper body, we've created all of this um, future momentum, right? Yeah. by breaking the two in half. And we weren't doing that before. We were creating, we were doing like, hey, once everything moves at the same time, you know, the leg, the hip, the shoulder, you know, the chest, the shoulder, yeah. everything moves at the same time. And and again, I mean, this was work done by so many people who, who have a, such a good understanding of, of, of kinesiology and stuff like that. Um, certainly I don't, I just follow whoever's smarter than me. So like, <laughs> yeah, I feel <laughs> so, that. but yeah. So, so doesn't yeah. it, and this is the reason I want to get into this a little bit is doesn't it, the linear throwing is why the pocket is the way it is, right? So if you're an offensive line, the center has to keep a certain amount of distance between the quarterback and, and his butt and the guards and the tackles, everything's built off that linear throwing motion and now that's completely changed so how did how did we all miss this how did i miss this how did everyone that watches football because everything that you know when you talk to players or you, you talk to, to fans you talk to i'd say even media members and people that are like you know the play-by-play -play guys and, and the color guys on tv none of this is ever brought up as something that is I think in a way fundamentally changing the way the pocket and therefore passing works and no, we missed it. How did that happen? Well, I just think, I mean, it's, this is such a, a, a tough position to, to understand, you know, quarterback and then just throwing an object in general is very difficult to understand, especially a weirdly shaped object like a football. So, you know, and it, it just took people like really kind of like going under the hood to um, to look at the real mechanics of what's going on, and and it takes like um, better understanding of 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 the body, um, better understanding of, of physics, better understanding of better tools to do that. Yeah. So the, the 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 good example that I that I tend to use is so, so I heard, I saw an interview with Josh Allen's quarterback coach um, Jordan Palmer, I believe. Yep. Who's like the quarterback coach of this of all the stars? But and they were talking about how 
you know, one of the things that helped Alan become more accurate was they basically hooked him up to this, to all these sensors um, that could, that could, um, that knew like, you know, when, when a muscle was firing, when a part of the body was firing, that, that was like using energy. And they found that the hip, this is what I'm talking about. It's like the hip was not firing before the rest of the body. Um, so they, you know, and then, so they fixed that, right? So they said, okay, we're going to sequence it better. We're going to go hip to chest to shoulder. And then, you know, obviously we know what happened with Josh Allen. He becomes this MVP type of quarterback. Obviously right. there's a lot of factors involved there, but right. regardless, like that was part of it, just being able to sequence the throw. But you can't do that without this type of technology, right? Like you can't, you, you can't go back to 1974 and hook a guy up to a freaking energy sensor or the hell it was. right so like right you know so like it, it took it took time We're, we are here now and that's good yeah um and it's and it's very new i'm talking like i started teaching this stuff like five years ago so like and so okay. like let's say add another add another five years for the people who, who actually were developing it so it's it's not it's all new stuff and it just allows us to throw with a nice with more power without you know a lot of times when we when we we were throwing before we were um, like like sapping a lot of our power without realizing it because we thought, oh, if I just push everything forward and have this big follow through, then I'll I'll have all this power. And we're yeah. realizing that the more power about, is coming from the torque. More about momentum than than about actually creating velocity and creating yeah. that. It was more about that whip from the power from your legs coming through your arm yeah. instead of creating it. You know where, where power comes from. The, I, I think more efficiently. The the arm. We always thought that the arm was that now obviously the arm has to be come has to like finish fast like the last thing that that's happening is your arm and that's where the ball is so like it's gotta it's gotta come through fast and everything but what we're realizing is that it's really just like you said a whip so it's like it's that last part of the whip where the the you know when you when you slow down a whip when you go rewatch indiana jones and you slow down the, the where he's he's using the whip it's like yeah like three quarters of the whip is already forward and it's that last part that just that I don't know how else to say it, but that whips at the end, right? Right. So like right. everything else is done, and the arm is that last thing that just whips at the end. Um, and again, you need to be balanced, and you need to have a base and everything so that it can do that. But we're realizing that it's not the arm itself that is the one like putting all that power; it's the rest of the body that allows the arm to come through at a balanced, um, you know, whipping uh, mechanism. And again, and it's just like you talk about the pocket. Now we're able to like throw from, you know, we're going to get bad pockets, right? Yeah. We're going to get rushers and stuff. And we don't have to take this really big step. We can take a very short step um, to start our throwing motion, to start our sequence and still get a lot of power into it. And, and you know, when I go back and watch some of the better quarterbacks of, of yesteryear, um, you look at the best example is Dan Marino. Without anyone teaching him this, I, I assume because it's we're talking about the the late seventies. Yeah, he's doing this like it, it's picture perfect in terms of his him being a rotational thrower in the late seventies. You know when he's at Pitt and then and then uh, and then in the eighties with the Dolphins and it's like so like it's funny to watch those Favre is kind of the same way where it's like without really knowing it these guys were doing this stuff. Yeah, it's just now that we're, we're we we all seem to understand it now. 
Um, so we're getting our younger quarterbacks into this type of uh, mechanical advantage um, at an earlier age. And, and that's so interesting because those two guys that you mentioned, strongest arms of all time. Yeah. And it, it it's just it, it's it's. It's so little about the arm. I, I wanted yeah. to ask you about Josh Allen. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I could talk all day about this stuff, but I, I do want to. And this, by the way, this is where I think it ties into Will Levis of going back and looking at his film. And my misunderstanding of the way he threw the football uh, was that he just never stepped into any of his throws. Yeah. But if you're doing something different, that kind of changes the evaluation, at least for me. Now, with the Penn State offense, want to get to this now. Mike Yersich came in to the Nittany Lions with a lot of fanfare. Everyone talked about what he did in the Big 12 uh, at Oklahoma State and then one year at Texas. Uh, passing game coordinator at Ohio State. Lots of points, lots of yards, explosive plays, and then that didn't happen last year. So um, everyone's the best offensive coordinator they've ever met. But most people, if you're watching broadcast, don't see 85% of what's going on in the game. So could you, just to start here, um, what are the characteristics of this offense, and what is Mike Yersich kind of overall trying to accomplish with what he does? I think, you know, I could speak more about the passing game than the running game, but I, one of the things that I noticed, and I actually pulled some stats up, uh, not stats, some visuals up that I wish I, could, I wish I could show some visuals here, but I know this is an audio medium. But anyways, yeah. um, so basically one of the things that, that's changed um, – from 2020 to 2021 is like they're just not targeting the middle of the field as much. Um, and I think given who the quarterback is, and obviously Clifford is an, an experienced player, but I would say probably hasn't worked out at the level that I think everyone kind of want, wanted him to. I mean, he's yeah. not, you know, if he came out last year, he's undrafted, he's an undrafted player, right? Like that's yep. what it comes down to. We'll see what happens this year, but as of last, as of this off season, probably an undrafted player. So I think what they've done is is trying to c clear things up for him. You see more spread, and I, I don't mean just like spread as in how we have four receivers on the field or or or, or three in a tight end. I mean like mm -hmm. receivers are as wide as they can possibly be on the field, and what that means is you're going to create more one on ones. Now you, you you're less over the field, less over the middle of the field, but more one-on-ones on the outside. And you just got to win those one-on-ones, whether with a good ball or with um, with a receiver making a play. But there's less like quote-unquote reads involved. And I think right. that kind of helped, that helped Clifford a lot. I did see a lot of um, what we call Y cross, which is, you know, from, uh, you know, crossing route, you know, at 18 to 22 yards over, you know, that crosses the center of the field. And um, every, every team runs that. This is like one of the biggest plays in college football right now. But I, I did notice that a lot when I was watching it. I think the issue there with Clifford is just, you know, when you're, you're starting to talk about like smaller-ish windows. Yeah. And I think he just needs to be able to say, okay, I, I'm good enough to fit that ball into the window. Because I think he sees it. Yeah. Um, and just, just in general, you think he sees it the right way. He just kind of has to take a little more chances of putting the balls in tight windows. And I, I'm not saying he's like super accurate and maybe it won't come off all the time, but I think he, he's accurate enough and he's experienced enough that he can make these throws, uh, I think, going forward. Yeah, the, the one thing I've said and talking to Sean Clifford and, you know, uh, kind of watching him over the years is that 
I think he knows all the answers. If you were to put him on a whiteboard, he'd be one of the. Yeah. I think he's going to make a great coach someday because he yeah. he understands football. He knows where to go with the football. But as you pointed out, uh, and this is, uh, I think you just pointed to one of the biggest reasons why Penn State fans were a little frustrated with the tight end room is that those opportunities weren't given to them as many times as maybe they were available uh, because of what you just described. So uh, is that just a confidence issue or is that something a little bit more structural in terms of maybe he's told not to put the ball in danger or be on the conservative side? Is that something that can improve next season where he's using the middle of the field a little more, even if it's still primarily targeting the outside boundary receivers? Yeah, yeah I mean... Obviously, it's always possible that a coach could put into his ear, the coaching staff puts into his ear, hey, we want to take care of the football, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But then I always, my, my counter argument to that is always like, well, they're, they're, they are calling the plays. Like, I'm, I'm seeing this on tape. Like, they are calling the plays that get receivers to certain spots and we're not throwing it. So, you know, you're not calling wide cross unless you want to hit that crossing route, really. I mean, there's other routes involved, but at the end of the day, on this particular concept, you're trying to get that crossing route. So, you know, I, I do think, Part, it is always going to be partly coaching, and we don't know what's being said to him in terms of uh, you know how aggressive they want him to be. But I do think that it, that it's mostly on um, on Clifford to be to to take those chances. I really think he could be a again. Is he going to be a quarterback that you talked about getting drafted in the in the first four or five rounds? I don't know, but I think he's he's a quarterback that could be a really good college quarterback and yeah. take take Penn State to to a level that I think they want to be if he, if he would just be a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, and that was really his profile too, is decision-making, accuracy, quick, you know, the quickness of the position, and make, you know, it was never about arm strength or size or physicality. No. His profile was always the cerebral and kind of making good decisions, and that's been the part I, I, I think you're spot on with that about Sean Clifford and where he's needed to take that next step. Um, so when it comes to... Uh, the offense in general, is it all based on Clifford in the passing game? Or are there things there that just are Mike Yersich? You can go, okay, that's the offensive coordinator. That's what he wants to do. Or is it more like we're setting up Clifford for what he can do? And is there a difference there? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, well, like, that's like I said, like, I think the difference between, um, I guess it was Kirk Soraka before him and, yeah. You're still getting some RPOs, like obviously Soraka, big RPO guy. You're just still going to give you the RPOs. You're going to get all that stuff, kind of keep it simple. I think they've just even simplified it even more. Um, and I don't even know. I, I wouldn't even say that's like necessarily oh because of Clifford. I just think that's what Yurchis does. Okay. Um, and and he came in and, and he ran his offense, and it, and I think it had its moments. So yeah, to me, it's not even just about like. And I I think that like. You're just there's there's obviously good receiver talent. I know you lose Dotson, but like pretty good receiver talent coming back. So mm. I think that like you this type of offense is going to put a lot on the receivers to make plays one on ones down the sideline. Um, so you're going to get those explosive plays just just because. Um, but yeah, there just has to be that that little little improvement from Clifford where they. You know, one of the issues with this is is when you start spreading everybody out, and like I said, you play a lot of one-on-one ball. Well, if you start losing one-on-one on the outside with your right. receivers and tight ends, well, where are the plays, you know, where, where are the yards happening? 
so how do we mitigate that? Well, we, we ask our quarterback to read it out, right? You know yep. what I mean? Like we ask our quarterback to make up to be a player. So that's the next step. Okay, we, we, we put in this offense in 2020, uh, in 2021, and um, we had success in certain ways. Now the next step is saying, um, like, can our quarterback be, be the player that – can our quarterback be the real playmaker? Yeah. You know. So distributing the ball more yeah. evenly than than just targeting Jahan Dotson and just yeah. throwing the ball to the guy that you know is going to win. I, I think about a lot, you know, in the in this offense, James Washington and uh you know, go back to Oklahoma State and he was able to win those deep balls, great deep ball receiver. Even in the NFL, yeah. he's flashed that ability. And the one thing I always you know, I Penn State fans get mad when you talk about their good players and their deficiencies, but Jahan Dotson didn't play big, so he didn't. He had a great yeah. catch radius, but when there was contested catches, Clifford doesn't throw those balls, and they didn't have a guy to go up and get those balls. Despite the tight ends being six foot six, two fifty, and running a four five, there was nobody on the roster that could do that. And Mitch, Mitchell Tinsley comes in for Western Kentucky. He has that ability. They got uh, your guy Malik Mega, who's six four, yes, has that ability. So those vertical opportunities might be there this year if if Clifford can throw those to the boundary. Um, what what do you think? Mike Yersich does well as a coordinator. What do you think his strengths are when you're watching his concepts on film? Yeah, I think he, I think the tempo and, you know, I'm thinking about the Auburn game. He was getting guys open in the seam a lot um, in that Auburn game. Seems like he understands how to deal, deal with other teams' coverages um, when they're, when they're, you know, down and distance related and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have a great answer for you, but I, I like a lot of the stuff he did in the Auburn game. I don't know. Yeah, the, the, the stack stuff he was doing because you know you you knew you were going to get a lot of man coverage from Auburn, um, so he put his you know wide stacks, get the little rub rub action. Um, to a certain degree, it was using Dotson. If you're going to run him vertical down the sideline, he's not a, he's not a contested catch type of guy, so. Um, but yeah, getting, I, I, I did like, um, that type of stuff from, uh, from your session. Is there anything that you, and I'm, I'm, this always is, is a delicate procedure is cause I don't think either of us want to be overly critical, uh, because there's so many factors, but is there anything you disagree with, uh, things that you wouldn't do that you, or, or maybe concepts that you think are overused or something that might be ineffective in the offense or something that you might change if you had some sway or control over the situation. No, this is my offense. Spread them out. Like, like again, yeah. it, it's going to depend on the, the the skill of the quarterback. But I think if you have a guy like Clifford, you have, like a, let's say, just an average college football quarterback, this is the offense you want. Throw the ball outside, outbreaking routes. Um, when you want to try and hit the big play, call wide cross and run a lot of RPOs. Like, that takes you're – trying to, you're trying to eliminate a lot of thinking from the quarterback because that's the hardest thing to do. Um, it's the hardest position in sports. So, you know, trying to do that. And, and this, to me, if I was an offensive corner, it, my offense would look very similar to uh, Mike Yersich. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. 
When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Uh, so I want to, I, I know that you, you mentioned going in with the, uh, with, with the passing game really is your forte, and that's why you're here. You know, specifically talking about that part of the offense. Uh, and by the way, we're talking with Seth Galina, PFF. You can follow him at uh, PFF underscore Seth. And the college football pr- uh, preview guide coming out in July or August? Uh, that would be early August. Yeah. It's a great magazine, by the way, as, as somebody who consumes PFF and, and loves the stuff. There's a lot of great information, so you can read a lot of this stuff and read a preview of Penn State from PFF's perspective in there. Uh, but the last two seasons, under Kirk Shiraka and under Mike Yersich, they've tried to implement the outside zone, which is something Penn State did not do with James Franklin or any of his previous offensive coordinators. Much more inside zone man than power and, and, and you know kind of combo blocking and things like that. It has not gone well the last two seasons. Well, you know, the pandemic, they couldn't institute it. Last season, they were ineffective with it, got a little bit better as the season went on. But I guess from an offensive schematic perspective, and Mike Yersich, I went in and dug in the numbers, he was heavy into zone, like almost a pure zone running team previously historically. Didn't have that. When you're an offensive coordinator, is that a big deal or not a big deal? Can you just adapt and adjust? Or if you don't have something like that, I guess my question is, am I making too big a deal of that? Or is that something you can overcome if you're trying to game plan and build a team the way you want to? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you should be able to overcome that, especially in the running game. Um, I'm looking at the numbers uh, right now, and they seem to be a pretty heavy inside zone team. We have them at 43% inside zone. Yeah. Um, and But but more outside zone, like you said, than 2020. Um, 10% more outside zone. So it's something that they wanted to implement a little bit more. Um, yeah, I think you should be able to figure it out. I think that um, obviously the talent you have as an offensive line is going to help you. Um, you know, when we think of the differences between inside zone and outside zone, we're thinking, hey, I, I can use a little quicker, nimbler um, lineman if I want to run more outside zone and I need more of a vertical push, more of a double team, bigger bigger players if I want to run inside zone. But at the end of the day, I mean, the differences are probably a little negligible. Mm-hmm. So I think you should be able to do that. Um, yeah, so I think like, his thing is going to be is just going to be trying to figure out what works best for them. Like everyone is an inside zone offense in, in yeah. college football, and that's really what it comes down to. Um, but I think it would be interesting to see them maybe get, like I said, ten percent more outside zone um, from twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one. And I do think you know maybe adding a little bit more with the purpose of getting Clifford outside the pocket on your play actions having him play action, keep the ball, boot around, giving him easy throws down into the flat, I think could do could do good things. So I would expect probably a little more outside zone. Again, not even necessarily because maybe the run play is better that way, but because the play action can can get you some easy looks there in, in the flat. 
Yeah, and that's that's really what I want to know is how does that affect the passing game when you don't have something that I would imagine if if that's something he did a lot previously. There's a lot of plays in there that are bootlegs. You know, they tried to roll the pocket last year. They tried to do some of those things of of getting Clifford away from just standing on the spot, and it just all looked like squares trying to go through triangles. Like it just didn't look good. So that I think is is to me like watching that. That was a, that was an interesting thing to see that particular progression. Um, and then play action is the other thing. And I know from PFS perspective, running the ball does not set up play action. Like play action is effective either way. But if you do have an effective run game, an efficient run game, does that, in college, does that affect anything when it comes to the ease of the plays you can call if you are uh, able to run the ball more than, than Penn State was last year, which was pretty terrible? Yeah, I mean, it, it helps you um, in the passing game. Uh, I think RPOs can help you in the running game um, just because it, it forces defenses to to split priorities um, defensively in the secondary. Um, some people have to be pass-first players. Some people have to be run-first players. Yeah. So you end up with... Um, less people in the box, so like that helps you if 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 you're throwing these RPOs and they're and they're working. Um, certainly, you got to throw them down the field. I mean, you can't just throw a bubble screen and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I think all that play action stuff still works at the at the college level. Um, a little different at the NF, little different um, in the NFL level, just because the NFL, you know, we're doing all these studies over the past five years since PFF PFF has had all this data. We're living in a in the NFL. We're living in a single high safety world. Yeah. So the play action is going to work a lot better because you have more linebackers or more people at linebacker level to to fool with. You know, when we're talking about um, play action at the at the NCAA level, we're talking about two high defenses, McCorder's defenses, less linebackers that can bite. Um, you know, more safeties on the field. So. It still works for sure, but um, probably not as much as the NFL. That's 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 actually super interesting. Uh, I I had thought it would be the reverse with college football and and the splits and the ability to create space with the RPO. So you're saying in the NFL it's more effective because you have a more balance and you can run more single high safety where you can't in college as much because of the differences in in field. Is that is that kind of the reason? No, I just mean like the the NFL defenses are putting more players at linebacker level. Okay. Who gets fooled by play action? It's linebackers yeah. or people at the second level. So you're getting less of that. You're getting more too high safety looks in, in college. Um, so you have more people that are susceptible to those type of to that type of action uh, to that type of backfield action. Um, so yeah, I think it just it's more, and we're seeing that change in the NFL. Like the play action rates are going to get very different as we go forward in a new type of NFL defensive landscape. But I think in college, don't get me wrong, play action still works, and I think you can you 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 find better ways to get over the top against two safeties when you're talking about play action. But I think um, you know just in general, you're getting more completions, um, uh, more more efficient offense if you're running, running play action against one high defenses. Uh, so you mentioned the RPO a couple times. Um, and, and just can you explain that to, f- to fans that don't know yeah. the RPO? And, and uh, 
I had a, a funny moment a couple years ago where I was talking to somebody, you know, uh, somebody else from PFF, and I was talking about RPO, and I kept saying read option interchangeably, and he's like, stop for a second. Those are two different things. So yeah. uh, just explain what RPO is and how, you know, it kind of works. Yeah, so the, the, the RPO is, is, you know, run pass option. So the, the, the most basic aspect of it is basically we're saying, okay, we have a run play called with, the, you know, the five offensive linemen plus maybe a tight end plus whoever is involved in the run scheme, you know, with the running back. And we're going to, you know, the most basic way to say it is we're going to um, read kind of the extra defender because teams can always like, defenses can always add an extra player um, to, to defeat your run scheme. Right. So how do we deal with that? We say, okay, well, if you're going to add that extra player, we're just going to throw the football because now we, you, you're, you know, you're, you're, you have less players in coverage. So that's really the idea of it is saying, okay, well, if your will linebacker decides he's going to see the run action, he's going to dive in towards the run. The quarterback sees that and he, he takes the ball out of the running back stomach and he throws a slant or any, any route to where that will linebacker was. Um, that's kind of like the basic idea of the RPO is, so it's not like, now there, there, there's a million different variations, but it's right. like, it's not necessarily a quarterback running type of thing. It's yeah. really a quarterback throwing thing. Um, and we see that, and again, there's a million different way, variations, but that I think is the most basic thing, is the defense can always get what we call a plus one in the run game if they want to. Um, so we're just saying, okay, well, screw it. Like if you're going to add one player, then we're going to throw the football. Um, and now things have gotten crazy, you know, crazy in terms of saying, um, you know, if we have a run play called and we have, we have, let's say a, a, a single receiver, he's one-on-one -on -one to the short side of the field. Uh, if we have a run play called, but that receiver is not being covered at, on, at press, you know, he's the, the DB is at seven yards. Well, we'll throw him the ball. Yeah. Doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So like there's, there's been this evolution. Um, but I think that's like the main thing about RPOs is just saying like, Hey, um, you guys are giving us a player in the run game that we can't block because we're, you know, you're, you're playing with a, a seven man box or you're playing with a six man box and we're only five offensive linemen. We can't block your six guy. So screw it. Yeah. We're going to throw the ball. That's it, kind of the main idea. It feels like, in the way you describe it, it, it feels like a bit of a cheat code if the offense can do it right. Uh, and for a while, I guess my, my feeling was like, is the RPO like the shift in baseball? Where it's kind of, is it ruining the sport where you can't, like, it's not the classic run the ball. And I think fans that are used to seeing traditional running not even out of the spread, just like even if you consider read option as now more traditional running, you're you're getting a bunch of stuff that is, I think, for at least for fans, hard to really digest and see what's going on. But that I, I, I get the sense that you don't feel that particular way that RPO is kind of muddling or, or ruining the fun of football. Oh, 100 percent. But it's not even like it's just like it just it, it just makes it impossible for defense to really play. And especially when you have, like, honestly, the best example is a play from uh, Penn State against, I want to say Villanova last year, where 
I mean, so the, the issue is, is like the running plays, the, the, the rules are in college football, I believe, that offensive linemen can't go more than four yards downfield yeah. um, on a pass. And in the NFL, it's like two yards or one yard or something like that. And we're getting like guys like offensive linemen going down five plus yards. And then the yep. quarterback is still throwing the football. And it's like, well, how, how can you play defense? Yep. That's a, that's a run play. Like that's a run play. Yeah. So how can you actually play defense um, when that happens? Um, I think I remember so, the play you're talking yeah. about too. Like I, I, it might've been the right tackle that the one I was watching was in the end zone and they threw a touchdown yeah. pass and it wasn't called. So like, what are you, what are you going to do? Right. Yeah. Like, what like um, I don't know. So like that that stuff. Like I like RPOs. I think they're fascinating and, mm-hmm. and they're really cool. But it's like, and I say that as an offensive coach. But like if I was a defensive coach, I would try and ban them outright. Outright because it's right. kind of ruining how do you how you can play defense. And and especially and this is the point. Penn State's linebacker you. It it makes it impossible for a linebacker to play football, especially in a traditional sense. So like it. In some places, and I, I say this, the NFL I don't think knows what they want in a linebacker because of the RPO, where you can attack them with play action so often that do you want a guy that's 210 pounds and is basically a safety, or do you want to say, screw it, we'll we'll figure out a different way, and he's just a run defender. So I think that there's a lot of different ways that, that people are playing the RPO, but it is undoubtedly attacking linebacker and making that a very inefficient position. So if you're great at that, you might be great at something that isn't all that important is that is that a fair way to phrase that yeah i think so i think what we're seeing more is and i kind of brought this up to you uh, uh, earlier it's just like you can't be in two places at once mm-hmm. you can't be a player who is going to uh see or you know have have a responsibility in the in the in the run game but then also have a, a responsibility in the pass game um when you see run action so what we're seeing is that split here of saying you are not like you're this player. You are not responsible for any run action. You are another player. You are responsible for a run action. And then if if it's a pass, okay, you, you have extra responsibility, but that's it. Mm-hmm. So that's how we're trying to defeat RPOs is just saying like you are just not involved so that we can have a real pass defender um, because we're, we're 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 running a pass play and a run play at the same time, so we yeah. can't have guys who are what we say conflicted, um, and that's how we're trying to change. You know, defense are trying to change the math there. I, I love this. I love it. Uh, Seth Galina, PFF. We're talking about football, trying hopefully to help Penn State fans understand what's going on on the football field and and what they're seeing on plays that. You know, don't, might not look like football to a lot of people who've been, you know, Penn State's an older fan base and they, they've seen the same thing for a long time and it looks very different now. So my question then, and this is really, I think we're all, we'll get out of here because, uh, you know, I don't want to take forever of your time and this has been super awesome. Is this the final evolution of football? Is RPO kind of the, 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 uh, the final evolution or is there, what's next? In, in football when it comes to the offense and the way to attack a defense? I think RPO, we haven't seen even... We're, we're, I think we're still probably scratching the surface of RPOs. And again, it's all based on the referee. The referee wants to start calling illegal man downfield, changes everything. Yeah. As long as they don't, as long as they want the, the, they're told that we want to see offense, then we're not even close to scratching the surface. My thing has always been... 
I don't want to get too into the weeds here, but my thing has always been uh, more unbalanced formation. So when you're saying like, um, um, I don't think Penn State's really heavy into this, but like some some teams are, um, you know, bringing uh, all five, you know, for, you know, for the four receivers on one side of the field, yeah. right? And there's no, there's no, you know, you're supposed to have at least one receiver, but in college you can play with four receivers on one side of the field. And I think that helps that plus going with some speed tempo and not huddling and going really fast, I think can, can cause defensive problems. So for me, that, that is the thing that I think is kind of the next evolution of offense at the college level, at least. So I, I talked about it a little bit earlier, but you can obviously speak more to it. Tell us more about the PFF college football preview guide coming out. Yeah. I mean, it's our third edition, I believe. Um, I, you can't get any, the statistics that we're showing you, the visuals that we're showing you, you cannot get anywhere else. Um, this is as good. Um, you know, if you're a Penn State fan, I think it's, I want to say six or seven pages on each team. So six or seven pages on Penn State, everything you need to know, all the stats that you didn't know you needed to know. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think it's as, as it, it's also beautiful. The graphic design is beautiful. Yeah. So. Um, I'm a, I'm a fan of it. I, I work on it, but I also am a fan of it. So I highly recommend it. Fun fact. I used to be on the PFF graphics team, so I agree. Oh, I think you guys go. do awesome work. <laughs> uh, so Seth, thanks. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for teaching us a little bit about football and about the Penn state offense. Anytime. So that'll do it today for the BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, here on YouTube and BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. Just $1. We're talking about Will Levis. We're talking about more scheme stuff over at the site this week from me. And, of course, coming up tomorrow, it's the BWI Mailbag with Nate Bauer. So stay tuned for that. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in 
West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.